Welcome to the Film Coterie. I'm Roger. I'm Adam. And this is episode 31 for the week of November 21st, 2017, our Thanksgiving edition of the Film Coterie podcast. We were going to take the week off, but we'd seen some stuff and we just needed to share it. I I made Roger feel bad tonight. That's right, man. And And before we get to how bad I feel... I want to share it with the world since I made him feel bad. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving to you out there in podcast land. And I uh, hope you're full of turkey and stuffing and taters and whatever pie and all the good stuff that go along with and that. And you're just on the couch enjoying the parade and not working. <clears throat> yes. And maybe you're driving and you'll get a chance to listen on your drive to and from family to this wonderful Film Coterie podcast, right? And I think people know this. We're from Columbus. So the other thing that happens this week is that we want to see the Buckeyes beat that team from up north. Yes, Saturday is our big uh, beat that team up north, which we will not name, but we're very excited to, um, yeah, watch some football this weekend as well, too. So so what's been happening, Adam? Seems like we're podcasting on a much more regular schedule now. It's been a good month. I think we've put out... <laughs> We'll probably put out six episodes in November, so... That's great, man. Yeah, that's good. It's just good to get the regular content out there. And our team of our team of co-hosts, um, Marnie, which you have met, and Kevin, which has been on here, and there's even a possibility for the super secret return of Matt to the podcast. In about a month. About a month, but we're working it out to get Matt to come back on, and uh, one other guest as well, too, hopefully, so... Um, it's going to be exciting. You know, we started out, you know, small with the founder and all this good stuff. And now we're just, I mean, we're going to hit it hard all the way to the end. We're going to finish strong our first year, I think. Oh, yeah. All and right. there's a lot of good stuff coming out. I mean, I was looking oh, at the calendar. So good month. We have like seven weeks left in the year or less and probably 15 movies. Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, is there anything good in the theater right now? <laughs> you can't, if you go to any kind of a boutique more of an art house theater you can't have there's not a bad film out no you can't miss you know? um <clears throat> it, it, there is some bad news for justice league in dc though since we when, since we did our initial podcast it's just gotten worse hasn't it adam yeah they underperformed this weekend and they actually opened as the lowest of the dcu films so out of five films it opened the lowest which isn't a good sign yeah, our hearts are hurting for the DC universe. We want it to be good. We want these the fans to, want it to be no. good, and they're they're voting with their dollars. I mean, Batman versus Superman burned a lot of bridges, and they're seeing that. I think. Yeah, and even though I, I still, uh, after a week, I still think that Justice League was a step in the right direction, but it still it was not a very good movie. It comes know? up short. Yeah, it comes up short. So. What else? Anything else happening? Are you getting ready? You're gonna you're gonna travel up to Cleveland, I bet. And see yeah, some I'm gonna family? go see some family in Cleveland. Awesome. Are you staying local? I am. Very small affair. Just the immediate. That's nice. Just the immediate family, and probably a couple. My, my brother may come over and uh, uh, have the mother-in-law over and that kind of thing, you know. But keep it just just a nice, small, intimate affair. A small bird and some good food and. Way too much dessert. We are the pie family at, our, at the Leg household. We are you making the pies? Or you... We make every pie from scratch. Oh, well, so, yep. We get ours from just pies. I'm throwing out a oh, free endorsement. They are awesome. I may end up getting one of their peanut butter Buckeye pies. So better go soon. Yeah, well, we had to true. order. You have to order it the first week of November. Well, that's true too. But they always have leftovers. I mean, they have some that they've over 
cooked. Yeah, and the good news is is that their headquarters where they bake all the pies is right around the corner from my house there on Maxtown. So anyway, we're getting way local. With we're our, hungry. We're hungry, yes. <laughs> and this is not our normal Thursday night because that would be Thanksgiving. This is a earlier in the week, Monday night edition of the Film Coterie. And um, I was actually supposed to be at a meeting tonight and had something come up where my meeting got canceled. And I said, hey, Adam, do you want to go see something? You want, you want to go do something? And I was like, yeah, let's go to the movies. You've never heard me say no, I don't think, when you're like, hey, let's go get into something. No, I've never heard you say no. That's <laughs> You're like, let's do a movie. So, yeah, so we went and saw a very unique film. And it's the title film for our episode this week. And it's The Killing of a Sacred Deer. And so... Uh, I think we should take a break and jump right into that movie. And then we're going to follow it with Mudbound, which yes. is a new Netflix exclusive. Yep, so two movie reviews tonight, and then we'll maybe give you a little bonus content of some good stuff to come. You're listening to the Film Coterie Podcast. We'll be right back after the jingle. <laughs> All right, we're back, and our main movie tonight to discuss is, and there's a lot of discussion to be had, is The Killing of a Sacred Deer. This is the next movie by Yorgos Lanthimos. If you've seen The Lobster or Dogtooth, those are from him. And he operates in his own little funny universe with these movies. Lobster was certainly strange. Killing of a Sacred Deer is different in its own unique way. I would recommend checking out the trailer. It's going to give you a feel for the movie. But even that probably can't fully prepare you to jump into Killing of a Sacred Deer. Now, Roger, you went into this cold. Yes. Now, now I... I to say I had not heard of this director would be misinformation. I've heard of uh, Lanthimos, um, another podcast that I really enjoy and listen to, um, Film Spotting. It, they have a Golden Brick Award for first-time directors that do in- incredible, outstanding work. And uh, Dogtooth was a Brick Award winner back in 2010. You know, yeah. so I'd heard of this guy, and then. The Lobster, I don't know if it made any of our top tens last year, but it was, you know, highly regarded. And, you know, we, we you guys had thought, you and Matt had seen it and thought, you know, it was kind of interesting. Um, so I'd heard of this guy, and I knew he was a kind of a high-concept movie producer. You know, there's some – let's talk about this for just a second, not to sidetrack us too much, but there are different kinds of movies. Some movies you go in just to eat popcorn and enjoy the ride and check your brain at the door. Yes. Then there are some movies, Roma Polanski, Stanley Kubrick, you know, these guys that are high concept, high execution, high execution, high, you know, high brow kind of this really, this movie is not, there's many layers to this movie, you know, and I got to say the killing of a sacred deal, just dear, just the title itself is provocative, you know? You don't, we don't get a lot of titles, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. No. You know? And so that in itself will grab you. And um, I don't even know what to I'm speechless about this movie, Adam, just to be honest with you. Yeah, and Roger, we're just minutes out of from oh. seeing this movie. I've had now the privilege of seeing it twice. I saw it at Fantastic Fest, where it went over really well. 
and then I saw it tonight, weeks later. I, I walked out of this theater thinking, that was a great, amazing piece of filmmaking. And I don't know if I ever want to see that movie again. But yet, part of me, this movie is inside of me and kind of stuck to me. This this is a movie that will be rolling around in my head for a few days. Yeah, it sticks to you. You know? Um so, Adam, give them a brief synopsis. You know, we're not going to get into outright spoilers, but, you know, if you're real sensitive about spoilers, you know, the whole plot of this movie is given in the trailer. I mean, yeah. you know, the whole plot's right there. It's the execution of this plot and the weirdness of it. And I want to say this, too. If you're not familiar with Yorgos's work, there's not a lot of easy answers in this stuff. Even The Lobster is an abstract concept movie. Yeah, and there's no real answers there. Well, well, and, and now here the lobster too. came out what two years or last year? Last year, two years ago. Yeah. Okay, so we can do spoilers on the lobsters, right? Yeah. So give them a thirty second plot synopsis of the lobster. Uh, lobster is set in a world where if you're not part of a couple, whether it's same sex, different sex, if you're not part of a couple, you're sent to a resort where you must couple or die. Or no, they don't die. They turn you into an animal. Yeah. Right? See, this is the this is what yeah. Lanthimos does. He, yeah. He, he. It's this weird, abstract kind of commentary, right? So, killing of a sacred deer, and I, I, like I said, I recommend watching the trailer. It's Colin Farrell, Nicole Kidman, and and Barry Keegan. Kogan. Okay. These are the leads. So, Colin Farrell is a surgeon. Nicole Kidman's his wife. He's killed. Whether you know accidentally through surgery, Barry Cogan's father. Right. Barry Cogan plays Martin in this movie. A, right, a troubled. All kid. this is right in the trailers, you know. And Martin has done something that has caused Colin Farrell's kids to stop walking and stop eating. Yeah, and they may die from this. And that the tension is coming from what did Martin do, and the relationship between Martin and the rest of the family. Yeah, a- absolutely. And if you had to classify this movie, I think the trailer calls it a psychological horror. Which I think is fair. I think is very fair. Absolutely. You know, and when I first started watching this movie, the first thing that struck me was how unimportant initially dialogue seemed to be in this movie. How unimportant it seemed. Almost like, I I remember thinking at one point, oh my gosh, you could literally put these characters on mute and the visuals are so powerful the musical score so compelling, the the tension that he produces with the lighting and the slow push of the camera, the slow pull of the camera, the high shots. This Everything movie, in this movie is deliberate. Th- there are so many high, they call them the God shot, right? When it's when it goes up above the characters. Right. You're not on the character's level. You're over their shoulder, over their head. You're there watching are so many up. so many God shots in this movie. Yeah. Even going down the hallway, you think they're going to scrape the door. There's a scene when he's out uh, <coughs> walking at night. You think they're going to scrape trees. They're shooting this from a very high dolly angle. Right. Now, this movie tips you off to what it's going to be like from the opening. It opens black screen, 30 seconds of score. Then a beating heart because he's a heart surgeon. You're watching yep. a heart in surgery, a real heart score still playing black screen. Then the title killing of a sacred deer. It's all very deliberate. Yes. And then when we come out of the surgery, Colin Farrell and this other surgeon are talking about their watch and they're walking lockstep. I actually saw they're walking with the exact same foot at the exact same time. Everything's in rhythm. 
and you'll know after you see this movie, rhythm is a very important part of it. Cadence, timing, rhythm are all vital in this movie. Um, oh man, what what do you say about this movie without really just going into a lot of spoilers about yeah, the movie? So, I mean, I mean, there's things to talk about. What There's performances and, and just how did it make you feel? I mean, this is a movie you can't watch passively. No, no. There are movies... How do I say this? There are movies you that... You can throw on while you're doing something else at home. Yes. You you're cannot do your that. checkbook. You this cannot is, do this with this movie. It's an active engagement movie, and it's even better in the theater where you're just in the dark and the soundtrack and the score overwhelm you. And I'm going to I'm gonna tell you, this movie's disturbing. It disturbed me very much. The the, the subject matter, what happens on screen, um, there are certain movies that like graphically are disturbing, and that's not what I'm talking about here. There's nothing really that graphically disturbing it's psychologically disturbing. Yeah, it's not a violent movie. It's not no, but it's it's this movie is it will mess with your head. It's messed up in some senses, and I think that the director does that intentionally. Now, I I, I happen to I happen to just I was just reading what some other critics thought about because I I went into it cold, knew nothing, so I wanted to hear what some other critics and, and read what some other critics had to say about this, and so I just was glancing, coming over here and glancing, looking in the car and. One critic, I thought, made an observation. I want to get your response to this. He said, I don't know what the message of this movie is. He said, with, with, with this director, um, with Lanthimos, with his uh, previous films, he, this is what his opinion was. He thought Dogtooth was a message about authoritative figures. Yeah. And he thought The Lobster was a commentary on marriage and relationships. And so he said, what is the commentary? What is the message of the killing of a sacred deer? What's, what is the message he's trying to say? Or is he not saying a message at all? I don't think there's a message here. Now, having seen it twice, I was watching for a few things. Because leaving Fantastic Fest, other people I saw it with, we had debating theories. I had my theory, which I won't get into. But this is a movie worth discussion. That's what you and I were talking about after the theater. This is the kind of movie that you just want to go to a library and sit in a high back chair and pour yourself a glass and discuss for an hour. That's what this is. This yeah, is, get get the fireplace up, a glass of scotch in your hands. A and, discussion-worthy and, movie. And this is sit down and really think this movie out and talk honestly, about Honestly, you could walk out of this three people of three different theories. And, and a lot of people I know are going to go see this movie. And walk out and think, this is the dumbest movie I ever saw. It, the, the acting in it was terrible. The dialogue was terrible. And that's the, yeah, if you engage with this movie at a surface level, because there's a very specific <clears throat> rhythm to the dialogue, and it may come across as a weird or stilted performance, but you'll see there's a reason for it. And, yeah, I mean, if you're just watching at a very surface level, you're not looking deeper, it's, it's going to come off as probably one of the worst movies you've yes. seen this year. There's times when dialogue spoken seems like they're trying to act and it comes off very very bad very just bad acting this would sound like really bad acting but it's genius because you know how good the actors are trying to portray a certain cadence and a rhythm in the way they talk i will say that yeah so i don't think this movie has a message i think it's more or less Maybe the director's job is to just make you uncomfortable. And I, it, that's the job he succeeded. Yeah, and I think he's trying to tell this story. Because we were talking about this, too. It, the story doesn't start at the beginning. We start maybe a third of the way in for where the story's been and where it's happened. There's The traditional three-act structure is a little off in this movie. And that's, it, it not works. Really, it's not really a three-act structure. Yeah, I mean, it works because 
certain revelations happen at times different than when you're expecting, maybe early, maybe late. And the story is what it is. I think it's more or less just a movie to experience and digest and think about and chew on for a while. I don't think there's a message here. Man, it's something else. I, you know, um, this is not really a movie that I'm just going to carte blanche recommend. Walk like our, you know, our normal. You're walking down the street, and somebody says, "Hey, would you recommend seeing the killing of a sacred deer?" I've got to say, no, I'm not going to recommend it. Now, is there value absolutely in maybe seeing this for certain people? Yes. But there's a lot of I don't, there's just a lot of people that are not going to like this movie. I can tell you right now. I mean, I'm just you know I run through my Facebook friends list in my head, right? You know my 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 friends, and I see like probably if I'm just going to take a guess, sixty to seventy percent of my friends are not going to like this movie at all, and think it's the dumbest thing they've ever seen. But then there are going to be a few that'll be like, oh my god, that was genius. You know, yeah, and I would predict that I'd, I'd say 60, 75% because out of the film lovers, like the group that we went with normally would go with the four of us. Right. I'd say 75% of us would have liked this movie. I think Blu-ray Bob would have hated it. He's just, he's just, it's not, it's not a not willingness to engage with it. He doesn't, he doesn't want a movie like that. He just wants a no. movie. And this is not that type of film. My wife would have absolutely hated this movie. She does not, she, she does not go to the movies for this kind of experience. She wants to feel good. She wants to enjoy the movie. She wants the good guy to win and to look good doing it, you know? And so she's not going, she would not enjoy this movie at all. And that's fine. I'm not saying there's a right or wrong here whatsoever. I'm not even trying to make a value judgment about what, 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 what the director is trying to do. But I know one thing, if one of his goals was to disturb you and mess you up a little bit, psychologically, he succeeded with this movie. And this movie doesn't have any easy comparisons. If someone says, "Hey, what's that movie like?" I'm drawing a blank. It's it's that says different a lot enough. right there. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to seriously sit and think. I mean, I'd go to some of Yorgos's other works, but it's even different from those. And I, I just don't know. I mean, I'd say this. Well, I can I, tell you this for certain. I will go back and see everything he's done. I will go back and see these other three films. You know. And let me. My own history with Yorgos is I liked Dogtooth. It was okay. I loved two-thirds of the lobster. It loses me in the end. Okay. This one I like credit to credit. This is, to me, his his best work and the one I like the best. Okay. Fair enough. Now, let's talk about some... I want to talk about the musical score, and I also want to talk about individual film, individual acting performances. Nicole Kidman, top bill here. Anna Murphy, the mom. What did you think of her portrayal? She's good. Um, she's been in a lot more stuff recently than I've seen her in. Um, she was in Big Little Lies on HBO, which was good. She's p- kind of playing a similar character here, but I think she's effective in the scene she's in. She's a she's a parent that is also a medical professional. Both of them are medical professionals, and that's important in this movie because that's why what is happening to their children is so horrifying to them because there are people that have scientific methods. They want to know what's going on, and the weirdness and the uncertainty of it all is almost the worst thing that could happen to a medical professional. Right. Because it's outside of what their norm is. They can't diagnose it. They can't fix yes, it. Yes. Uh, Colin Farrell in this in this performance. Good. Um, he's pretty similar to his lobster character. Um, he comes across believably as kind of an ego driven surgeon. 
and, you know, kind of a god. You know, some surgeons have that mentality, at least in pop culture, that they think they have god there like are abilities a lot to heal. Of, there are a lot of god symbolism imagery in this movie. Even with Groundhog Day. They play Groundhog Day in this movie. And they pick a specific, specific scene in the movie where Bill Murray is called a god or some, there's some reference to him how you know I'm not a god how you know I'm not you know that kind of thing and it's interesting framing I mean this movie is very well technically shot because Martin is sitting there it's you amazing. only see maybe a third to less than a half of the screen for Groundhog Day but you know what movie it is you see Bill Murray and you hear the dialogue yeah so uh, yeah, absolutely Alicia Silverstone is in this movie that was a surprise to me I, yeah. I haven't seen her in years and I thought she was solid in her performance um, Barry Cogan, we've already mentioned Martin. I think he's the star of the show. He's the most important character in this movie. He is Irish. Now, here's the thing: this movie takes place in a nondescript Midwestern city, pretty big city. You right. see it downtown, and everything else. And Martin has an American accent. He's an American kid. So it's interesting that the director picked this guy. If you don't know Barry Cogan, he was in Dunkirk as George. <coughs> The cabin boy, and it, and it was and he was not a very demanding role, but he was very good in it. Yes, and he's even better in this. This is this is his best role by far from anything I've seen uh, him in. He's this kid's got some acting chops. Yeah, absolutely. And he was at Fantastic Fest. He kind of told us a funny story that his first day filming on this movie was with Nicole Kidman in a scene where he's eating spaghetti in his underwear. He's just in his boxers, and he was already nervous enough acting, but now he's got to act in front of Nicole Kidman in just his boxers. And eat spaghetti for take after take after take after take. <laughs> and you'll see in the movie, he puts spaghetti in his mouth, but then he pulls it out. He doesn't eat it. He just puts it right back on the plate. And the actor shared with us that he was doing that because he'd already eaten all day. This was a late take. He wasn't, he was just done eating spaghetti. So he wasn't taking any more bites. Yeah. And you almost wonder whether or not there probably were other takes that were just as good, but maybe. Um, Lanthimos wants to use a take where he's not going to actually, he's fake eating, you know? I mean, I literally, this is one of those movies where you think the smallest, tiniest detail Lanthimos has thought about and did it intentionally that way. You know, they say in the Catholic church, everything's there for a reason. And, you know, there's hundreds of things and symbolism and iconography in, in the church. Everything's there for a reason. I'm beginning, I, I really am convinced that with Lanthimos and his films, every single thing's there, every lighting choice, every angle of the camera, every prop that's on the table are all there. You probably could watch this movie several times and continue to pick out stuff in the background, things you I didn't did. see. I picked up on a few more things here, and I'll, I'll say to the audience, if you see this movie, there's things you should pay attention to. Watches, lemonade, and french fries. Yep. They just they that might, would be, they a might good, be a key to something. That would be a good podcast title. Yes. <laughs> Watch us lemonade and French fries. <laughs> Those are some key items in this film that would you're not going to catch it on your first time. I'll say that, and I don't even know that my theory is correct. I shared it with you. Well, and now that I'm thinking about it, I have an alternative theory that I'm starting to think could be just as plausible. Yeah, you know, so. Um, I'll share that on the break with you when we're off the air because we don't want to spoil the movie for you. Um, the last two, I guess, characters are uh, Kim and Bob Murphy, uh, Rafi Cassidy, and Sonny Soljic. Um, good, you know, passable. I mean, yeah. playing kids, you know, that kind of. I thought the girl 
was given a little more depth and a little more to do because she's older. And her story was very interesting, very um, believable. Um, she didn't come across as a... I mean, I have a teenage daughter who's about to turn 16, so I know that pouty kind of, you know... And she didn't come across really, you know, in a stereotypical teenager way. Um, but I, I thought absolutely she was real solid in the performance. And with performance, I mean, let's talk about the audience tonight. This movie has been out here probably three or four weeks. It's a Monday night we went. I told you going in, I thought it'd be us plus two maybe. There the was more. Theater was over half full. It's surprising. Yeah. People just kept coming in. And near the end of the movie, there's some stuff that's going on that's both absurd and horrifying. It's a really weird mix. Right. And it elicited some laughter from the audience. And I wasn't quite sure if it's just kind of nervous, anxious laughter. It felt like relief laughter to me. Or if it's just laughter like, oh, this is the worst thing we've ever seen. Right. I'm not going to spoil anything, but there's some truly absurd stuff at the end of this movie. But at the same time, it's deeply horrifying. Yes. Yeah. So that's the that is uh, the killing of a sacred deer. Uh, oh, let's talk about the score. I, I wanted to mention the score, Adam. Give me your thoughts about the music and the score in this film. Yes, yeah, so there's no soundtrack. You're not going to hear any any music with lyrics. This is all a score that starts out classical and kind of degrades into chaos. A lot of rolling drums, a lot of sharp string instruments. Like a lot of Hitchcockian feel yeah. at times with the score. I I I'm, I'm I was thinking to myself. If I would have closed my eyes, I'd have thought I was in a Hitchcock film at times. Yeah, it's an experimental score, and it works for this movie. It really works. Yeah, absolutely. So what else? Anything else about this film that you'd like our listening audience to know about? It's just so visually striking, and it's it's weird because it's all urban. It's set mainly in a house and a hospital in downtown. But it just shows you that with great shot composition – you can really make stuff in kind of scenarios that are kind of plain to the eye. I mean, I don't think a hospital's ever looked this good from the angles he uses. There's an incredible shot on the escalator that's in the trailer. Oh, my gosh. Or he's just following Nicole Kidman and the one kid down, and the camera's just rotating down until it's right over him, and then something happens. Yeah. Wow. So, so do I recommend this film? It's so tough because it's so, it's such a disturbing film. If you really, really like psychological thrillers, I'd say absolutely you need to watch this film. If you like fringe films, you know, I'd say watch this film. Um, if you go to the movies for enjoyment and fun and just a fun ride and, and, and to eat your popcorn and to escape from life, do not watch this film. So that's going to be my recommendation. What about you, Adam? I'm going to recommend it because I'm actually, I would look forward to someone coming back to me and saying, I hated that film you recommended because I want to talk to them. I want to, I want to discuss this film and you know, they're going to tell me why they hated it. And you know, I'm probably not going to change their mind, but maybe we can actually have an interesting conversation about maybe there's something else going on in this movie and, and, and just see if they want to engage with it at all. And some people don't want to engage with the movie. They want just the surface level there's and a lot, in and out. There is a lot going on with this movie. But this is, yeah. I mean, I just want to, I'm always curious if, if people are wanting to engage with a movie they didn't like or give yeah. it a second thought, you know, have your mind changed by having a conversation. Absolutely. Well, that's going to wrap it up for The Killing of a Sacred Deer. 
Um, when we come back, we're going to review the brand new Netflix release, Mudbound. You're listening to The Film Coterie. All right, and we're back, and for our second feature of the night, we're going to talk about the brand-new Netflix-produced-and-released movie, Mudbound. And uh, Mudbound is the story of two men who return home from World War II to work on a farm in rural Mississippi where they struggle to deal with racism and adjusting to life after the war. One, an African-American um, not necessarily a sharecropper family, but I, you know, itinerant farmer family that's yeah. trying to that stuck in that loop. They weren't full blown sharecroppers. Their their parents probably were, and I think there's even allusion to that in the film. But they're trying to, as an African American family, trying to get out of the loop where they can own their own land, and then just as equally, kind of a very rural country family that he's trying to get ahead and they're struggling as well too and they actually own the hundred acres or whatever that they're farming so um yeah and it's that story it's it's a story about race racism uh the deep south and some of the how the war uh, you know how the war brought you know kind of tore down some of those racism racism stereotypes and one of the things i think this film adam does a really good job is showing you what life in Europe was like for a soldier, regardless of color, yeah, versus the way things were back home in America, you know. So, Mudbound. What, what were your thoughts, Adam? I, I'm glad that you got a chance to see this. Um, did you, had you seen it before I had mentioned it, or did you see it because I mentioned we might do it on the podcast? I watched it on. It went live on Friday. I watched it that night. Okay. It had built some buzz. It's it's 96, 97 percent. I think on Rotten Tomatoes. Netflix did release this in theaters at the same time. Not yeah. here, maybe New York and L.A. It's playing in enough to qualify for an award one run. Right. But they they release it simultaneously, which to some critics still hurts them. They're not doing the Amazon model where it's in theaters first and then shortly thereafter on their platform. It's day and date, so same time. And I wasn't familiar with the property. It's based on a novel by Hillary Jordan of the same name. And it's a big-budget Netflix movie. I've been impressed yeah. with what they've been spending because Bright is coming out next month with Will Smith. And they spent quite a bit of money on that oh, movie yeah. too. This this looked like a theatrical release. This didn't look like a streaming only movie. No, I, I have to agree with you. And you know, I think we'll get to what we actually thought of the movie itself here in just a minute. But I want to continue this conversation about Netflix and Amazon are putting together some pretty amazing. I mean, they're investing in actual theatrical release style movies, and like you said. Um, Netflix is still doing same day as, and I have no problem with that because if this would have been a big budget special effects, I'd have been a little disappointed that my only option was Netflix, you know, but this, this, this movie lends itself to the home viewing experience on a 60 inch TV, you know, get your popcorn or your hot chocolate or whatever, turn down the lights and enjoy a, and this is a drama. There's no getting around it. You know, this is. This is going to be racially charged. Um, one of the things I will say about the director positively is um, uh, 
that, that, that she, she knows how to bring tension. She creates scenes of tension. Now, whether those scenes ultimately work together is maybe a, a, a different conversation that we will probably have at some point about this film. But there were very tense moments in this film that worked because of her ability to create those moments. Yeah, and uh, I, we talked about this just a hair online, and I like the movie. Overall, I'm giving it a very good review, very positive. It meandered a little bit that I thought kind of ruined the effectiveness of the movie. Like, okay. It, it kind of took you out of what was going on. It's sort of a pressure release. Sometimes they went back to the war, and you already know the characters survived the war. So you go from tension to a background story where you know nothing bad is going to happen. Okay. So, I mean, that was my only really knock on the film, but it, it's a novel. The novel was probably written that way to to jump around a well, little bit I, in the story. I, I had no. I agree with you. I, I don't necessarily consider it meandering to me because I think there's a point to the going back and showing those things. There is. I, I think it would have been. Again, I, I like the movie, but if they'd started with the war and kind of dealt with that there and then them coming home instead of jumping I, around. I, I see your point. Yeah. I just disagree, I think. I, I liked the idea that they would flash back. I, I, you know, I get so tired of chronological act one, act two, act three. This kind of starts in act two, and we get glimpses of act one through act two, and then it builds to a very climactic act three, you know, kind of a deal. Um, yeah, and I'm not saying that it needed to be linear. I'm saying it kind of hurt the story flow in that it was pulling you from the better parts of the movie and the tension. I, I think to that, jump back. that's fair enough. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I like this movie a lot, and I'm going to highly recommend it. If you like dramas, if you like period pieces, if you like historical, if my buddy Scott, my history teacher that's out there that I'm trying to get on this podcast, this would be a great film. I wish I could have had Scott who's from North Carolina. He was on another one of my podcasts that I did. Um, I would love him as a historian to watch this film and get his perspective on it as well, too. Um, but I really, I think that the, the cast is very strong. Um, you know, Jason Clark is by far the biggest name, I think, probably in the film with the stuff he's done in the past. I'm, I'm just looking here real quickly, but he's been in a ton of things. Zero Dark Thirty, Donald Planet of the Apes, Everest, The Gatsby. You know, he's done a lot of, you recognize him. As soon as you recognize him, you're like, oh, movie star. I've seen him and stuff. The rest of the cast I had not really seen before, but I thought really did a solid job. I mean, really good acting all around. And a couple times I thought they were going to fall, specifically with the wife, um, with um let me get the actor's name here with jason clark's wife the you know the guy who was carrie mulligan yeah carrie mulligan uh with her specifically i thought they were going to fall into brother lover well that i thought that was going to happen <laughs> which it did not but yeah. also that real stereotypical i'm just kind of the doormat and just kind of the here to hold up the post and fill a spot but they gave her a little substance to, to work with, and I thought there was an honesty to her performance. She recognized what her choices were back in that day, you know? Especially the scene where she says she got in trouble for driving. Right. You know, and she's scared to take the car out again. Yeah. You know, and so I, I, I thought her performance was really strong, very honest, very 
accurate probably to what whether I like how she was portrayed as far as women because I think you know we're very empowering to women and equality and we're we're 100% as a podcast behind that you know but I think her her portrayal was very honest for the time period and the choice some of the choices that maybe women had at the time uh, here's a man you know who was going to be a provider and give her children you know um yeah, so I thought her performance was really solid. Um, the brother, I was a little mixed on him. Is this Garrett Headland? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I went back and forth. There were times I really liked his performance. Like in the beginning, I thought, oh, here we are. What's What was the Legends of the Fall or whatever, the, the two brothers and the woman? I thought we were – oh, I thought, oh, here yeah, we especially go. Especially it's based on a novel. <clears throat> Here's the love triangle. Yeah, and I did not know this was based on a novel, and I think the pacing and – your depiction of meandering to a point, it seemed like a novel kind of pace to me. So I would agree with that. But I was really back and forth with him, but he turned out to be, he's the heart of the movie. And he shines in that storyline. Yes. He's less effective in the other storyline with his own brother, with, with his brother's wife. Yes. He does shine and kind of come alive with the, the story of the racial at, hate. And he's what sold the movie for yeah. me. Uh, when it came right down to it, I was invested in him. I had the same anger that he had at the same movie. And I was glad for his actions that he took at the end of the movie as heinous as they, or they might've been, you know, I was invested in this film. And so, um, I liked Mudbound very, it's very much steeped in Southern culture, tradition. It's called Mudbound because these, these families are stuck. There's no bright future for them. They're going to work long days, back-breaking work for very little money, you know. They're stuck in the mud. They're mud-bound, you know. So the title's very, very apropos for the, the symbolism that's going on here. Other thoughts that you had, Adam, about the movie? It's ugly, but it's ugly in a way that's necessary to tell the story. Um, these are not pretty farms, and the racial hate that goes on between these groups is, is brutal. And that's that was the times, though. I mean, that's there's no shying away from it. And that's the point of the movie is to show us that for some of these people, the war was a pause. It was a chance to get away from this life, have a different life over in Europe and and, and just be different. They didn't. Right. There's a powerful scene about having to go out the front door or the back door. Yeah. Well, even though, and it's hard to go back to that, even though this movie takes place shortly after the war. So 1946, 47. Right. The, the, We're away from civil rights yet. Yes. And also, the grandpa in this movie, who is the stereotypical racist, white, redneck, uses the N-word all the time, you know. Uh, you know, he is the stereotypical racist, southern racist, you know. But you can see that even, you know, you think about it, his father or his grandfather probably was in the civil war you know i mean he was probably born let's just say 1918 something probably born in the 1890s 1880s you know because he's in his 70s you know uh s supposedly around 1947 so he's probably born around 1870 1880 his dad probably fought in the civil war you know i mean all of these things are a possibility and and it, it's a great passing of time there's a, there's a transformation that, um one of the interesting things and maybe a negative thing about this film is that nothing gets resolved 
at the location. There's no resolution to the film, you know? Things didn't change. And the racism is very deep. Even the main character, Clark, even his character, even though he gets along with the African-Americans, he still does not see them nowhere near as equals. Yeah. You know, his racism is subtle, you know, uh, whereas his dad's racism is overt. Yeah, and it, it portrays, I mean, the older generation, the grandfather, I mean, it's a lost cause. I don't know yeah. what would have swayed him from those beliefs. Yeah, who But knows? it's it's kind of shown us the hope in the future generations that well, it's that insta- the institution of racism may be grinding away. Yeah. It's a tale of two brothers. Yeah. One of them left the South, experienced a, a devastating war, was saved and saw that his life was saved by African-Americans in the war. I mean, that's that's not a huge spoiler, but, you know, he had to fight alongside these guys, you know. So his life was cha- He sees – he sees um, – I'm, I want to get the character. I want to get the character's name down. I want to say his name correctly. He gets um, Hap, right? That's no, that's the father, the son that went off to war. Oh, Ronzel, yeah, the son that goes off to war. He sees him as just another man, another brother, another person, a human being, someone he's not ashamed to pick up in the truck and help. Someone he's not to hand the whiskey bottle to, you know. Um, and, and even the portrayal of, of the brothers, um, his demons, he had to fight. He was messed up. The war messed him up, you know, messed them both up, you know. So I don't know. I, I really liked the movie a lot. I, I would highly recommend it. I, it probably won't get nominated for an Oscar, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if it was nominated. It's just one of those kind of movies that great performances around probably during the award circuit, somebody's going to give it a nod for something, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's been. I saw today it was shunned from a few awards. It's we're still in a funny era era of streaming versus live content. We want the theaters to survive. Movies need to be in a cinema. I mean, I I strongly believe that too. But we're also at a crossroads where TV is just so damn good anymore. It blurs oh. the lines. I mean, you see a miniseries, absolutely, that's as good as a movie. So where does streaming fall? I mean. I think the New York critics, uh, one of their heads of the Gotham Awards, said that he considers Mudbound the TV movie because it was streaming. So, I mean, there's a, there's a debate to be had here. I think it would have been fine theatrical. I think the model might be changed a little bit. Would it really hurt Netflix if they put it out a month early? I mean, if this had played in theaters in October and then they put it in November? I, I really think... I don't think it hurts. I really think if they would have put this in the theaters... It shows more confidence in the product. <clears throat> yes, and you give it a four-week run, it may have been completely overlooked, or this is a movie where it could have got some traction and really got a lot of buzz and then would have been a huge drop when it comes to Netflix. I really wish they would follow the Amazon model. I think it is better. Run it for a month. It makes it a legitimate film, you know, and then it can go right to on streaming. And it's good for the venues. I mean, we want people going to theaters and seeing movies, so yes, that's an important part of the process. I don't think everything should be day-and-date streaming. I think there's an advantage to having it shown by exhibitors first and then eventually stream or whatever else yeah not for everything but for these big netflix movies yeah. i i don't think they'd have any harm in following the amazon model yeah. one of the shortcomings of the movie that i that i saw when i watched it was the movie opens with the burial with a burial 
and like something's trying to be put to an end. Yeah. And you never really get that resolution at the end of the movie. You know, things things get tidied up and people move move away and move to different areas and move on with life. But nothing really got buried, you know. I know the symbolism they're trying to portray there, you know. But do you did it work for you? Do you think no. the symbolism came across or it it was too heavy-handed and it wasn't Yeah. It wasn't as effective as I thought as they thought it was going to be. I liked the story. I liked the concept they were trying to do, and and it could have been handled a little bit better, um, but it just didn't really come home for me. And the one thing, too, is all the stuff shot on the farms was good. The war stuff felt a little detached in that some of the scenes, like when they're in the streets, felt like they got on, they snuck onto the set of, like, Dunkirk for a day. Yeah. They didn't really interact with the scenery or the background. It just no. felt like they were kind of shooting. It was placemats for, for for them to get a piece of the story out. Yeah, it was very hands-off with the scenery and everything else. It and just a lot felt of that like could have been budgetary restraints, yeah, too. Yeah, I think there was, but that's that's kind of some of the worst stuff hurt. Is it, it felt like it was from a different movie sometimes. Yeah, I agree. I can see how this would work as an amazing novel. Mm-hmm. Really, a compelling novel. Uh, I think it's a very good movie, B plus kind of movie. Um, I, I highly, I, I would recommend it um, if you like period pieces, if you like war films, if you like um, racially charged films, all that kind of stuff. If you're into that kind of that setting, I, I'd re- totally recommend it. And that's the interesting thing where we are now. You know, the racism was out in the open. You know, no big deal to say it. And nowadays, it's more or less just contained online with various social media and other stuff with groups coming together. So we're in a different era of it. It hasn't gotten, oh, yeah. it's gotten better, and at the same time, it hasn't. So it's always interesting yeah. to look back and see. All right. That's going to be Mudbound, and uh, that's going to wrap it up. It's showing on Netflix. Um, and I, you probably – can you get it on iTunes or on Video On Demand? From It's only Netflix, Netflix only. It's a Netflix exclusive. Okay. So if you get an evening, check it out. Let us know what you think. We're going to take a break and come back and wrap it up with a few odds and ends. You're listening to the Film Coterie Podcast. All right, and we're back for our last segment of the podcast. Uh, Adam, what do we have? This is Thanksgiving week, Thanksgiving weekend, and um, I did a real impromptu poll on on our Facebook page here, and I said, do you have a Thanksgiving movie tradition or plans to go see something this weekend? So I'll pose that question to you. Do you have a Thanksgiving movie tradition, or do you have any plans this weekend to go to the movies? And if so, what might you see? Well, we don't have any strict traditions. Like, I can't think of anything we do year to year. I know we've gone to the theater and seen plenty of movies on Thanksgiving. I, the first one that jumps my mind was the original, not the original, the first theatrical Adams Family. I just looked it up. It came out in 91, so I would have been 10. <laughs> That's awesome. But I know we went with my grandparents, and they, we went to see it on Thanksgiving. Nice. But yeah, we, we go to movies. Um, I don't think we have necessarily anything going on at home. What about you? Do you have any traditions at your place? Um, well, once we get past Thanksgiving, you know, we set up for the Christmas season, the holiday season. And so 
we'll have a tree up and all the decorations. And then we're full-blown Christmas movies all the way through till Christmas. I mean... Silent Night, Deadly Night, Krampus. <clears throat> no, no. We're talking like <laughs> It's a Wonderful Life, Miracle on 42nd Street, The Bishop's Wife. Black uh, Christmas. No, none of those. Um, you know... Uh, <laughs> So we will do all classic. Um, we will watch Gremlins. Na- National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which is a must-see at our house. Our my, my kids just love that movie. And they crack up, and we point out different things that Cousin Eddie is doing that we failed to see the last time. But uh, Now that we've had this discussion, we're going to put together a, our top five Christmas movies. Yes. Gremlins is going to get some serious consideration for me. <laughs> Now that I've mentioned it as like one of my top five Christmas movies. Yep. And uh, hey, how could you leave out Die Hard, the oh, original? Man. Yeah, right. Die Hard. You know, so uh, yeah. And so um, uh, that's kind of our tradition is we'll get the tree up and get everything settled. And then we'll go headlong into Thanksgiving or, or should, I, I should say holiday Christmas uh, movies full blown from here on out. One a week, maybe two a week. Uh, so I'm very excited. And I also talked to Kevin, and we are going to have a future special Film Coterie Classics edition, and we're going to review the film It's a Wonderful Life. I know it's Adam's favorite. Bah humbug. <laughs> I like Christmas movies. I don't like It's a Wonderful Life. He's not Life. allowed to be on the podcast for that one. Then. I've been banned. You'll have to miss me for one episode. <laughs> but Kevin and I are going to do an It's a Wonderful Life uh, movie review, and I have a whole ton of behind-the-scenes stuff and some fun trivia and things about that movie. And then he and I will pr- probably do our five favorite classic films, you know, uh, from that era. And we'll see. We may even have another guest host as well. We'll have to see. But uh, a lot of exciting stuff coming down. We've got Adam, and we, we've just got amazing movies coming down the pike. I mean, this is award season. All the big boys are dropping yeah. now. Yep. Uh, we have way more than we could ever do. So we'll be going well into January, still on the award contenders. Absolutely. Uh, next week, we will do an episode. There's no new major wide releases that I'm aware of. So we're going to we're gonna fish something up. There's a lot of good choices. Uh, I know Three Billboards opens up this three week. Three Billboards, more Lady I, Bird. I loved Three Billboards. I loved Lady Bird. Yeah, so, I would love to see either one of those. Uh, Heck, well, I'd even like to see Coco, but I don't know if we talk the other guys into that. <laughs> yep, Coco's gotten good buzz. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to see Coco. I don't just don't know if we'll do it for the show. So, well, that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. How can they find us on the social medias and the interwebs? <laughs> We're on Facebook. That's the best place to reach us. Uh, just Facebook.com/backslash/filmcoterie. We have our own website, filmcoterie.com, and we're on Twitter at uh, filmcoterie. We're also on Instagram. Starting to push that. That's new for us. We're on there as at Film Coterie. And for the podcast, we're just about everywhere now. Everywhere, yeah. <laughs> we're on TuneIn, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher. I'm going to forget some. iTunes. <laughs> I- iTunes, yeah, the big one. So, and three others that are slipping yeah. my mind. Yeah. So, if you, whatever, however you, you uh, get your podcast, if you just search for the Film Coterie, we're going to come up. So. All right, well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. You guys have a great Thanksgiving. Eat too much turkey. Enjoy time with your family, and we'll see you at the movies.